Good morning, and welcome to Upward Vision. We're glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Upward Vision is a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, with locations in Bloomington and Bedford, Indiana. Now for today's message. I want to begin today with a story that comes out of New Zealand. And uh, now remember, New Zealand does not have very many Christians. Uh, it is still a nation that needs very much Jesus. There happened to be a young couple, though, both followers of Christ. They fell in love. They got married. But for their wedding, they wanted to use 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 as their wedding text. The bride wanted it used in the wedding by the preacher. She wanted it on the invitation. She wanted it uh, on the uh, uh, napkins. And 1 John 4, 18 says... Perfect love casts out all fear. That was the theme of their wedding. She even ordered it on the wedding cake. She wanted 1 John 4.18 on the side of the cake. And she was thrilled when she went into the reception and there she saw people taking pictures of her cake. And so the story out of New Zealand goes that when she and her new husband went up to cut the cake. Now remember, New Zealand doesn't have very many Christians. The baker not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, did not know the significance of that number one on the side of the cake. So it only said John 4.18. Now if you and I have read the Bible a few times, you know that in John chapter four, Jesus meets a woman at the well, and John 4.18 says, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. So a very powerful discovery for us, and this is why we make mention of this. Missing that little detail of that number one completely changed that message. Missing that little detail of the number one completely took them to a different place in the word of God. Now, as we get into the scripture, we're going to be in the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter six, and we're not gonna miss a single detail. We're going digging now into Acts chapter six, and we're going to see a picture of radical leadership. Remember, Jesus, after he died and was raised from the dead, he gave to us the hope of a very different life. When the Holy Spirit came on the believers in Acts chapter two, giving birth to the church, capital C, a radical power came upon people to live radical uh, lives. And so now we come to this great story in Acts chapter six, and we're going to see before our very eyes what it looks like to be radical leaders. Verse one, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now we're going digging, stay with me, stay right there in the text. Remember, context before content. Before we unpack the content, remember, contextually, this is happening in Jerusalem. The great persecution has not yet happened. That's chapter seven, that's chapter eight. So everything is happening in Jerusalem. And notice that phrase, it says, when the number of disciples was increasing, the church was growing prolifically. The last number that we have is in chapter four, verse four, where it reads there were 5,000 men 
When we add 5,000 men in the church, add to that women and children, then we have a church of 15, 20,000. So the first mega church ever to exist was First Christian Church, Jerusalem. And they were growing prolifically. And notice they had a growing pain. The Greek-speaking Jews complained that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now notice that phrase, daily distribution of food. There was a custom in the Old Testament. God said, take care of widows and who? Orphans, that's right, widows and orphans. As well as aliens, people who have been driven from their country because you were once aliens yourself in Egypt. So God says, you have compassion. Now what they did, they had a kupa, K-U-P-P-A-H, a Hebrew word for basket. And they had a custom called the kupa. And they would go around to house to house there in Jerusalem, a believers, and knock on the door with their basket and they would say, do you have any food for widows and who? Orphans, widows and orphans. And the apostles, those 12 men were doing this. They were the catering crew. They were going door to door to these thousands upon thousands of people. Do you have any bread left over? Do you have any olives, any figs? How about a piece of fish for widows and orphans? And the number of widows and orphans was growing extremely high. So the task was significant. Now, here's something else for us to remember. Let's bring into this layer biblical context, the culture of the day. You and I eat three, four, five meals a day. We got that refrigerator, we've got that cupboard, we've got that pantry. Not so in the first century. People ate one meal a day. It was a survivalist culture. People worked in order to live for one more day. A dad went to the field, a dad went out and fished, a dad went out and made furniture to keep his family alive for one more day. They weren't eating three meals a day plus snacking. So at the end of the day, they would gather in their very humble home on a a little mat that mom had woven and they would eat that meal as the sun's going down. Then the apostles would go out after uh, they ate their meal, knocking on doors. Do you have any food left over, any food? And that word overlooked, this is huge. They were being overlooked. And that means this, intense, the tense of Greek, it didn't happen just once, but it happened again and again and again. Now put that together. That means these widows were going without food one meal a day, day after day after day. That meant they were starving what? Say it with me, to death. That's how serious it was. All of that from verse one. See what happens when we go digging in the text? Now let's go on into verse two. Stay with me. In verse two, so the 12, and that would be the 12 apostles, They gathered all the disciples together. And that doesn't mean all 20,000 people went into a congregational meeting to take a vote. That's not what that means. They gathered all of the followers of Jesus that were impacted by this. The men who were troubled that their widows were being overlooked, that they were starving to death. Those guys got in the face of the 12 apostles, brought it to their attention, and the 12, they responded and said, hey, Uh, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. And that word ministry is a form of the word diakonos, from which we get servant. It would not be right for us not to serve up the word of God. In other words, it wouldn't be right for us to preach and teach and declare the good news of Jesus. 
in order to wait on tables, in order to go knocking door to door with baskets. That's what that means. So what these apostles are doing, and remember, the apostles were the spiritual leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they're saying, here's our priority. We have to feed the people spiritually the bread of life. They're making a priority. And it's a courageous decision. It's radical leadership. But then they said, brothers, verse 3, choose seven men from among you. So the guys who brought the problem to their attention were going to be a part of the solution. The brothers that brought this need to the spiritual leaders are now going to be a part of the solution. So brothers, choose from among yourself, and that word choose in Greek means carefully select. It doesn't mean have a nominating committee. It doesn't mean gather the people together for a congregational meeting and take a vote. That's not what that means. It means carefully select. You vet, V-E-T, you vet these men. And then it says, making sure that they are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom mature men of God. And then notice, we will turn this responsibility over to them and, verse four, will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Prayer and preaching. We're going to make that a priority. So you see here, radical leadership of these spiritual leaders was, we are going to make sure that that the widows, the Greek-speaking widows, are going to receive food. We will not let them die of starvation. We will make sure that they have food to eat, bread to eat, but we will make sure that everyone has the bread of life. You see that? We're gonna make sure that the people have the bread of life. Well, verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group. Everybody now is going to win. It's a win-win. Everybody's cooperating. So. They pleased the whole group, and they chose. Now look at this. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. This is fascinating. These seven men all have Greek names. If you have a Greek name, you're probably what? Greek. These are Greek Jews, these men. And who will they have a heart of concern for? Greek-speaking widows. They will want to make sure that their, their widows are not starving to death. Incredible. So it was a great solution. And then notice, it says right here in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now listen up. This laying out of hands in that moment of prayer was not some shazam prayer moment. That's not it. The laying out of hands had many different purposes in the word of God. Let me give you an example. In Numbers, Old Testament, chapter 27, God says to Moses, Moses, you take Joshua, you have him stand in front of the people of Israel, you lay your hands on him, giving him some of your authority. So the laying on of hands, one of its purposes was for the giving of authority. So look what happens, put two and two together. Not only did the apostles, the spiritual leaders, give those seven men a job to do, a responsibility, but they also gave them the authority by which to get the job done. That's what's happening in that moment. 
You seven men, you're going to oversee, you're going to be in charge of, you're going to be lead the effort of making sure that the Greek-speaking widows get a meal every single day. We will not let them starve to death. Incredible. And what was the response of this radical leadership? Verse 7, it's right there. So, the word of God, it spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love that phrase, increased rapidly. That in Greek is a picture of geometric multiplication. When they made this radical leadership decision... The church even grew exponentially. Now think with me for a moment. If we have a chessboard or checkerboard, it has, anybody know how many squares on a chessboard, checkerboard? Anybody know offhand? 64. If we take a kernel of corn uh, and we go to the elevator near here, and we say, hey, let us borrow some of your corn, kernels of corn that the farmers have harvested. We put a kernel in that first square, and then two, four, eight, 16, 32. We keep doubling it with each square. Uh, you know how much corn we're gonna have, kernels of corn on that 64 square? Uh, we can't get enough corn from all the elevators uh, here near Bloomington. As a matter of fact, we can't get enough corn, kernels of corn, from all of the elevators in the state of Indiana. Oh, by the way, we can't get enough corn from all of the elevators in Ohio because by that 64th square, the law of geometric multiplication, there will be corn five feet deep that covers the inner continent of India. That's a picture of verse 7. They were growing exponentially because of this decision of radical leadership to stay on mission. And the mission of those spiritual leaders was to declare the good news of Jesus Christ, the word, ministry of the word, and it was empowered by prayer. What an incredible picture. Incredible. Now, we just went digging in the text. All right, stay with me. We're about right here. I'm not done yet, so you stay with me. Uh, you know, uh, Whisk detergent, one of my wife's favorites, whisk detergent. I remember a commercial from some time ago where a homemaker, she's washing her husband's shirts. Do you remember that, ladies? The, the wife, the homemaker, she's got long brunette hair and her hands are sudsy and she's pushing her hair back with her sudsy hands and uh, it shows her washing the shirts. And the commercial said, oh, she's tried washing them out She's tried scrubbing him out, but still she gets what? Anybody? That's right. Ring around the collar. Oh, those filthy rings. She's tried soaking, scrubbing him out, but still she gets ring around the collar. Now that commercial inferred that that homemaker did not know how to do the laundry. That's what it inferred. But really, that commercial needed to ask the obvious question, when is that guy gonna learn to wash his neck? That's the question that needed to be asked that day. So here's an obvious question that needs to be asked. What on earth does Acts chapter six, verses one through seven have to do with Sherwood Oaks Christian Church? What on earth does Acts six, one through seven have to do with me individually? All right? So that's the rest of the message. So you stay with me. Let's talk about the church. 
I see four things rising like cream and milk out of that text, out of that paragraph story that is pregnant with discovery. Four words I want to bring to your attention. Structure. Those spiritual leaders had the courage to create a new leadership structure in the church so that, so that the church could grow prolifically. And it was one in which, oh, oversee, they could oversee the spiritual growth, the spiritual uh, uh, distribution of hope, not only throughout Jerusalem, but soon to be Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They were going to oversee the work of the church there in Jerusalem. They weren't going to be down here in the weeds, knocking on doors to make sure that all of the widows were getting food. Those 12 men on that catering crew could not handle that. They were going to oversee the work and not be down here in the weeds and then see. Why did they do that? Because they had concern, great concern for those Greek-speaking widows. They didn't want them to die of starvation, but nor did they want people to go without the bread of life. So their heart of concern was for everyone and see they were solidly committed to that. We will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. We will devote ourselves. And that word devote in Greek means to be zealous for something. So those 12 spiritual leaders, uh, they show to us a radical decision, a radical way to lead. And the result was God's favor was poured out on them, so much so that they grew exponentially. Even Jewish priests were converted and came to be a believer in Jesus as their Messiah. All right. How does that speak to us right here? Let me tell you. S-O-C-C. Does that sound familiar? Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Structure, oversee, concern, commitment. You have spiritual leaders in your church family. Who are they called? The elders. And the elders are men who have been called by God through the prompting of the Holy Spirit to serve in this structure so that they oversee the work of the bride here at Sherwood Oaks. They're not gonna be down here in the weeds wondering, hey, is somebody gonna get a quote for the new shingles on the roof? Hey, is somebody gonna get a bid so that we can repave the parking lot? They're not gonna be down here in the weeds. That's not for them to do. They're gonna be up here in this leadership structure overseeing the ministry of the bride of Christ called Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Why? Because they have a concern a concern for everyone, not only in the church, but those yet to come to be a part of the church. They have a concern that people not only as a part of the family of God, but people who are out in the community who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They are concerned not only for the physical needs of people, but they are concerned for the spiritual needs of the people of God. And they've made that commitment. These are men who have made a solid commitment to lead in this very uh, radical way. That is so biblical, so biblical. As a matter of fact, all we have to do is look in this book of Acts and we see the work of elders, very plainly stated. As a matter of fact, the the book of Acts is called Acts of the Apostles. 
when you and I read this book and we get into its words, I think it could even be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because from the opening page of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is given, and he being God in our skin. God has no skin, he is spirit. Jesus is God with skin. John chapter 1, verse 14, and Jesus put on flesh and he moved into our neighborhood. The Holy Spirit is God in our skin. Repent and be immersed, every one of you, and your sins will be forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of whom? The Holy Spirit. He's God in our skin. And the Holy Spirit has been moving ever since the day of Pentecost in a powerful way, and he, God in our skin, shows us in the book of Acts what elders are to do, spiritual leaders like the apostles. Here they are, five of them, five responsibilities of spiritual leaders in the local church. They are preaching, they are praying, they are leading by policy, they are providing pastoral care and protection. Leave those on the screen, please. Do not take them down. In Acts chapter 6, the spiritual leaders, the apostles, they were concerned that the people received the bread of life. That's called preaching. Elders are concerned about the declaration of the word of God, whether uh, with exhortation in a sermon or whether through explanation in a teaching moment, whether with a crowd of thousands or a, a listener of one over a cup of coffee. The communication of the word and prayer. They're not the only ones praying, but they're going to make sure that Sherwood Oaks Christian Church is a praying church. It's one thing for a church to pray. It's another thing for a church to be a praying church where prayer is an absolute passion of the family of God. That's the spiritual health under the mantle of the leadership of the elders, preaching and prayer. What, what's that policy thing? Well, in Acts chapter 15, the Holy Spirit is moving, and we have the Jerusalem Council. And we've got, in just very, uh, in a nutshell moment here, we've got Paul and Barnabas and Peter going to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and elders uh, to decide the question, do you have to be circumcised to become a follower of Jesus? Do you have to be circumcised obeying the law of Moses to become a Christian? And the apostles and elders decided differently. No, you don't. As a matter of fact, the person who renders the decision is the brother of Jesus. His name is James, thought to be the leading elder, the chief elder, the spiritual leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 19, it's my judgment, therefore, see, he's making a decision. It's my judgment, therefore, that we will not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to Christ. So he writes a letter and he sends it with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. Here, implement this. Elders, they establish policy and they say to other people, such as those on staff, go and lead. Just like the seven men in Acts 6. Go, you, you have this responsibility to serve in your area of ministry, but guess what? We're giving you the authority to get the job done. To stay within the lines of the policy. And then in Acts chapter 20, we see uh, Paul saying goodbye to the elders of Ephesus, First Christian Church Ephesus. And in Acts 20, Paul says to those men who will never see his face again, remember, he says, you're never gonna see me alive again. And at that statement, those men wept. They were so moved, they were never gonna see Paul again. And if you and I are having a last conversation with somebody, then you and I know that it's a very serious conversation. And in that conversation, Paul says, be shepherds of God's flock, 
of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You weren't nominated by the nominating committee. You weren't voted in at the annual meeting. No, the Holy Spirit called you and set you apart as elders. Now you be shepherds of that flock. See, pastoral care falls under the leadership of the elders. They're not gonna be able to take care of thousands of people, making every hospital call, shut-in call, help every family that's grieving, help every individual save their marriage from divorce. But they're gonna make sure that in a large church, people are cared for. It's their responsibility. And they're gonna protect the doctrine of the church. Paul says in that text, he says, I know that soon after I leave, savage wolves will come in to destroy the flock. He even says to those elders, I know that some of you are going to, to uh, become false teachers. You're going to draw people away after you. And sure enough, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, his prophecy came true. So the elders were told by Paul, you protect the body of Christ against darkness as well as your own life. Guard yourselves, he wrote. So elders have these five primary responsibilities found right here in the word of God. And when these, these directives are followed, God's blessing rests on that church. You know, uh, I was born and raised in Muskegon, Michigan. So here's, here's the other, if, if you're from Michigan, you always do this, you know. Muskegon is right here on Lake Michigan. And I'm here to tell you, a lot of lake effect snow. Uh, I'm the only one of three boys who moved away. While we were growing up, snowstorm after snowstorm, and we had to have a, sto a storm come through that'll dump two or three feet uh, in order to have school closed. They, they know how to plow snow in Muskegon, Michigan. And I can remember on some of those days when school was canceled, we three boys, we'd get out some toys, toys that looked like these, you know, Legos and Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs. Uh, we'd get those toys out, and uh, within minutes, World War III would break out. And mom would come running in from the kitchen. What are you boys doing? We would be brawling there on the floor, wrestling. And what is interesting, uh, we would all try to build something, for example, with Tinker Toys or Lincoln Logs. And if Ron or Mike wanted to build something, there weren't enough parts for me. So there's something very common about those toys whether it's Tinker Toys, Lincoln Logs, Legos, they all come with a set of instructions. So mom would pick up the instructions from that Tinker Toy box and she'd point, she'd, all right, all of you agree, you three boys, you agree what you're gonna build here. One thing, you're gonna build one thing because there are enough pieces for that one thing and then we would agree and sure enough, peace would come and we would make that one thing. And when I look back at that moment in my childhood, I am reminded of this. This is an instruction book. And the local church needs to decide, will we build according to God's instruction book? And if we do, God's blessing is gonna rest on us. It's gonna rest on us. This has been Upward Vision, a ministry of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. With locations on the east and west sides of Bloomington and in Bedford, Sherwood Oaks has a worship service to meet your needs. To receive a free copy of today's message or for more information about any of our locations and service times, go to socc.org messages. Thanks for joining us. Continue to look to God this week as you maintain the upward vision.